The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Market mayhem. Stocks trying to fight back after three straight down days. But future say are lower once again. Dow off 183. We'll find out why. The pain even bigger in crypto. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others down more than 30% at their lows. As many investors get squeezed, we'll talk about how to turn it around. Oil not spared from the selling, but quietly making a major rebound this year. Militabak's Mint Maley lays out why he says oil may actually be the key to the overall stock market. A C-suite shakeup for one of the biggest internet media companies as the CEO of TikTok parent ByteDance steps down. And are you reaching for that oat milk to put in your morning coffee? Well, if you are, maybe we've got a stock for you. It is Thursday, May 20th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange again, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Let us get right now to it. The markets and your money after Wednesday's wild ride. I'm sorry to tell you, futures not indicating a turnaround. Dow futures are down 177 points right now. NASDAQ futures also down just under one half of 1%. All this coming off a wild Wednesday. Now, Wednesday really was a tale of two markets. You had the morning and you had the afternoon. Very different. Total capitulation in the first few hours. Dow down nearly 600. Bitcoin nearly broke below 30,000. But then around the afternoon... The buyers came back in big time. We still had a down day for nearly everything except for gold and the VIX, but we did have a big bounce off those lows. Right now, though, that momentum that we saw in the afternoon not following through to the morning. Crypto was really the volatility story, and we are seeing that continue as well. Bitcoin did a $13,000 round trip in just a few hours on Wednesday. It went from 43000 to 30,000 before bouncing, got hammered again overnight in Asia, and now is trying to come back. We're at 39,780. Ethereum down 25% at one point yesterday. Again, fell in the Asia markets, lots of margin calls, maybe accounts being closed, people getting squeezed. Then, of course, we've tried to come back this morning. It has been maybe a year in a day for the cryptos. A lot of the moves being blamed on inflation. They may be true. They may not be. We'll talk more about it. One thing, though, you've got to watch in the inflation story is bonds, because the 10-year really isn't moving that much, which is curious, given that everybody's blaming all this on inflation. The benchmark 10-year yield is pretty much exactly where it was a month ago. So is it really an inflation story? Hmm. We'll find out. All right, let's go now around the world on a day like today. We need to get the biggest minds out there. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the global markets. And I guess, Juliana, all in all, we're holding up reasonably well in your neck of the woods, considering what we had here yesterday. 
Brian, let me take you through the action that we've seen overnight in Asia. You talked about the continued volatility in cryptocurrencies. Equities were more stable. We've got a little bit of red on the board for the Korean and Shanghai indices. Over in Australia, a strong recession up 1.3% and the Nikkei 225 ending about 20 basis points higher. Turning to Europe, the story yesterday, very interesting in Europe. We saw outsized losses for European stocks. The stock 600 dropped 1.5%, but European markets closed before that second leg to the U.S. story kicked in, as you mentioned there. So we closed up shop here before the rally stateside. But this morning, a mixed picture here. And we've got a number of factors driving trade, travel and leisure firmly in focus this morning. And I want to give you a check on the travel stocks. And I say it's a, a several drivers here. On the plus side, we've got Europe talking about reopening its borders for vaccinated non-EU travelers. But in the U.K., the government yesterday muddying the waters a little bit when it comes comes to its guidance for Britons looking to travel abroad, suggesting that people looking to travel to those amberless countries maybe think again. So we're seeing overall losses for the travel sector. Brian, back over to you. Yeah, a lot of red certainly on that screen, but maybe not as bad as we saw here yesterday. Juliana Tottlebaum in London, thank you. All right, let's get now right to your money, because your first guest today has been pretty much as right as anybody on stocks the last couple of years. On this very program, he's made bullish calls even when nerves were high, and he's been right. Well, that's clearly where we are right now. Nerves are high. And so he says we may need a pause that refreshes. Craig Johnson, chief market technician at Piper Sandler. Craig, it's very good to have you on a day like today, because, listen, the S&P 500 is up 37 percent in a year. We hit your price Mm -hmm. target, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. You boosted it just a bit. Now everybody's freaking out. Is this just a technical turn? Is it inflation? Is it maybe something more insidious? Brian, I think it's the realities of reopening as we start moving out of the initial phase of uh, the reopening. And we're starting to see some of the consequences of all the stimulus getting put into the uh, into the system at this point in time. And so there's a lot of discussion out there about inflation. People are watching 10-year bond yields. You mentioned uh, earlier here in the show that 10-year bond yields uh, haven't gone anywhere. But if you step back and you actually look at where tips have gone, and that's uh, sort of an anticipation of inflation, they've continued to move higher while 10-year bond yields have moved uh, basically nowhere. So there is inflationary pressures building, whether they're transitory or not, is the key question that I'm getting from every single uh, account that I've been talking to over the last several days since this month's publication came out. And Brian, I got to tell you, I would say all the commodity side of this definitely can be transitory. But when you start reading through all the news and all the things on CNBC, there's wage increases happening all over the place. And whether this was by design or whether this was uh, really just a overall minimum wage increase going through. Nonetheless, wages are going up and that's only a one-way door, not a two-way door like commodities are. So, Brian, at this point in time, I look at this market, I'd say there are inflationary pressures building. And I think the biggest risk that investors are dealing with right now is, is the Fed going to make a policy mistake at this point in time? And I think that's what everybody's wrestling with, and that's why you're getting the volatility you're seeing in the market right now. Well, let's back it up just a bit, because, Craig, I think you Mm -hmm. understand my point in the bond market. The bond market generally is the tell for inflation. At least it has been for decades. The 10-year yield hasn't done squat in two and a half months, been stuck pretty much at exactly the same level. So is that maybe more of a reflection of all the debt that's out there? Is the bond market kind of losing its role as the inflation tell? 
I don't think it's going to lose the inflation tell. I think you've got you know, bond purchasing happening by the Fed. They're obviously trying to control rates, control things at this point in time. So I think at this point in time, it's still a tell. But I would also bring into this discussion, Brian, if we look at sort of the copper and gold ratio as an inflationary discussion, mm-hmm. with copper being a, a uh, indicator of inflation, gold being sort of a, a risk-off type metric, you look at that ratio and you sort of project that out and you look at the correlation between that and 10-year bond yields, Brian, it's projecting that 10-year bond yields should be at about 2.93% at this point in time. So if there's anything that investors wow. are, are, are certain about, is 10-year bond yields are going to be moving up. So the question is, how do you address your portfolio? How do you restructure it? And I think that's where investors are really starting to focus. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a genius question, Craig. How do we restructure our portfolio? Answer your own question. (laughs) What are we doing right now? See what I did there? I was hoping you were going to ask that question. So what we've done recently with our model... (laughs) What we've done is we made a couple big changes. We downgraded the technology sector for the first time in five years from overweight to neutral. We also upgraded basic materials from neutral to overweight. And we also downgraded healthcare from neutral to underweight and upgraded transportation. And really the crux of what we're seeing in here is we want to be positioned in overweight basic materials, the commute, uh, we want to be overweight uh, basic materials. We want to be overweight the uh, uh, consumer cyclical stocks or discretionary stocks and also financials. As we think that in this sort of rising rate environment, which we do believe is going to come, those stocks should outperform tech given the sort of long dated kind of open ended growth stories that have gotten to be very expensive, um, you know, in the market at this point in time. Yeah, there's names, though, that d- down the road, because May to Labor Day, obviously we know the history of it. The markets historically tend to do very little. Volatility does come up. That's not scaring you away from a name like a, a FedEx or a Cisco, but I don't mean Cisco Systems. I mean the food company, SYY. There are companies mm-hmm. that you still like right here in a market of stocks. Absolutely, Brian. Look, we're still looking for 46.25 by year end. So we're talking about another 12% higher. I do think we are going to get volatility here coming through the sell in May go away months through this through the summer. But there are definitely things to do. There's always things to do. FedEx still looks constructive. Cisco Foods looks constructive. I'd even say on the consumer and take a look at guess. Uh, another constructive downtrend reversal. Also in the financials, J.P. Morgan, uh, Truist Financial, or other examples of uh, constructive-looking names. And then don't forget about the basic materials. I mean, Alcoa, very nice uptrend. The copper stocks still look constructive, and uh, we'd still be owning those. And then also energy. Look at EOG and the longer-term downtrend reversals mm. that are happening in energy. There's zero question that the market is sort of reorientating toward a higher interest rate environment. And I think, again, the risk is going to be higher volatility. And is the Fed late is the big question investors are really trying to answer. And it's a lot harder to pay for those long-term earnings when interest rates go up, which maybe is one of the reasons we are seeing that shift out of technology and into gasp, things like oil and gas and copper, Mm -hmm. stuff dug out of the ground. Craig Johnson of Piper Sandler been nailing it, still bullish on the year-long term. Craig, we really appreciate your steady hand and coming on this morning, as always, my friend, way out there in God's country, Minneapolis, the North Woods. Craig, thank you. Thank you.
All right, we are just getting started on a big day. And when we come back, the big money movers of the day, including the latest on Squarespace, hoping for a better day, too, after plunging in its trading debut. Plus, Republicans rolling out a new potential plan for infrastructure and taking the hatchet to President Biden's $2 trillion potential price tag. And then can retailers really keep putting up these kinds of monster numbers? Or is the lockdown boom going to come back down to earth? Futures, they're down 160 on the Dow. And we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Time now for your Big Bunny Movers. Three stock stories the morning that you've got to hear about. First up is Cisco Systems. It posted better than expected earnings. However, Cisco warning supply chain problems will linger through the end of the year. It is forecasting a fourth quarter profit below the consensus of analysts. Stock down 6%. Up next, L Brands. Shares also lower despite a big first quarter where sales nearly doubled. L Brands also citing a boost from stimulus checks, putting more money into consumers' pockets. That stock down about 2%. And finally, Squarespace. A brutal first day of trading yesterday. Shares opened lower. They finished down as well. But uh, that week first day follows been a record run for nearly 15 months of the market for IPOs, direct listing, and SPACs. Squarespace up a quarter of 1%. And the hope? for a much better day two as a newly public company. All right, we have got a long way to go on this Thursday on deck. Your morning RBI and the questions you are asking about crypto, but maybe too afraid to ask out loud. Right now, quick hit on some other big headlines. House Republicans introducing a five-year, $400 billion transportation bill. This is a counter to President Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure and social benefit proposal. The GOP plan more targeted directly at things like traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, mass transit. All this comes as the White House wants to expand the definition of infrastructure. TikTok, you don't stop. Well, apparently you do. ByteDance's co-founder is stepping down as the company's CEO. The company, which is the parent company of TikTok, announcing that Jiang Yiming will transition into a key strategy role at the end of the year. And Oatly will begin trading today after raising $1.4 billion in its IPO. The Alt Milk Maker pricing shares at 17 bucks each, the top of its indicated range, notching a $10 billion valuation. By the way, Oatly's CEO will be on Squawk Box this morning. 
Futures down 166 on the Dow, also down about a half percent on the NASDAQ. Could be another wild day, and we're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. All right, welcome back. Well, the American consumer certainly is back and spending money in a huge way. Retailers everywhere are posting monster quarterly earnings. Internet sales, of course, a huge part of it. As we all got more accustomed to simply hitting click and having somebody deliver the goods right to our door during lockdowns. But as we bust back out and COVID lockdowns end, even in the Northeast and states like California, how much more should we expect from companies like Target and Walmart? For more now on this retail earnings season, let's bring in Jerome Martis, Director of Consumer Research at Refinitiv. Jerome, good to see you again. The numbers have been huge. I mean, Home Depot with a 31% same-store sales jump, Look at target earnings yesterday. I guess the only question is, is there any way that kind of momentum is sustainable longer term? Well, it's been an unusual quarter, um, and that's mainly because there is no comparable year to 2020. So the least disruptive measure, as you, as you mentioned earlier, might be the e-commerce numbers. And those companies that you mentioned, they all posted double-digit growth e-commerce on top of stellar numbers last year, which is telling us that they continue to gain market share online. And when looking at the definitive um, e-commerce estimates for the next four quarters, we're expected to continue to see that customer behavior continue. Now, because of the strong numbers that these big retailers reported last year, Q2 will be a more difficult comparison for these names. So in traditional times, a small negative percentage uh, change might signify that the company is struggling for a company, for a regular company. However, for the big names that we just mentioned, like Walmart and Target, a negative 2% decline might suggest, might actually tell us that market business volume is actually holding up very well. So it's very important to very to dig into these numbers even deeper. Look at e-commerce numbers as we progress and move forward into 2021. Well, you know, how much, Jerome, do the, do the comparables even matter? Because the, the sad reality in history, we'll write this book down the road, but the sad reality is, you know, a year ago, the government said to pretty much every small, sorry, local hardware store, you have to close down. There's covid you know, we're only going to allow these stores to open. You can agree with that or disagree, but the point is the comps were easier because other competition was shut down. And unfortunately, many of those mom and pops, they went away. They never reopened their doors. The, the big companies in some cities are the only ones that are left. How much does that propel their business for years to come? Well, well, it's not only the big names that we that reported this week that are doing stellar. It's very important to know that the earnings growth rate that Refinitiv is looking at is is 111%, which is huge. And it's not just only because of the easy comparisons, but it's also because of the leisure product sector. And we're talking about toys at Hasbro, 
the golfing gear at Callaway and also outdoor gear at Vista, outdoor and Polaris. So we're seeing that a lot of the consumer behavior that we saw during the 2020 pandemic are still sticking into 2021. So they're still going to the discounters. Consumers are still shopping at the discounters. They're still shopping at um, the, the home improvement. They're still investing in the stay-at-home um, stay experience. And they're also still investing in the outdoor gear. Um, so this shopping behavior has not changed. And at least for the beginning of the data refinitive shows that 2020 was the pandemic. The 2021 will be the transition year. And it's not until 2022 that we're going to start seeing um, things going back to normal, even for the small businesses. You know, the death of the American shopper has left a bunch of uh, beaten up investors in its wake. We love to shop in this country, Jerome. It is kind of a national pastime. Everybody says, oh, the Internet's going to take over everything. The reality is, we, I don't know about you, I go shopping because I want to get out of the house. I love my family. I love my kids. But there are times you just want to go do something else, right? How much of the in-person experience do you expect to come back? Because I know you're not a, a REIT or a real estate analyst, but the mall owners are certainly hoping people walk around, you know, on their own feet instead of just hitting click on a mouse. And to your point, uh, Shoe Carnival reported record-breaking earnings yesterday and they did this by removing by by lowering their discounts and removing their whole buy one get the other half of promotion which is telling us that consumers are willing and able to pay full price again for the latest fashion items um, and this is in line with the refinitive consumer sentiment which actually is back at pre-pandemic levels and is telling us that consumers like you mentioned, like yourself, um, are starting to go gravitate back to the stores, are going into Shoe Carnival to try on the latest uh, merchandise, and they are paying full price for it. So they are feeling um, good right now. There's no stopping them. The only thing that could um, diminish the strong sentiment that we're seeing is the unemployment number, because that's the one economic mm -hmm. indicator that consumers understand very well. And if they feel that this will continue to deteriorate, they're going to put their hands in their pockets and hold back on spending. I see what you did there. I talked about feet. You went to the shoe carnival. I love that. You just rolled right with it. Unplanned TV. By the way, shoe carnival should really like sell funnel cakes. It would be much more of a carnival. Jerome Martis of Refinitive. Great stuff. Thank you. All right. On deck. From stocks to crypto. It is market whiplash. We're going to break down what's going down with both. Morgan Creek's Mark Yusko and Ally Capital's Lindsey Bell are here to help you sift through the noise and what you really need to know right now. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast every day in like less than an hour. We tell you what you need to know. Should have called it the WexCast, whatever. It's called Worldwide Exchange. Check it out. Dow futures losing steam down 228. NASDAQ futures down one half of 1%. We are setting up what could be another tough day for the markets and your money. We'll get much more on it coming up right after this. Another wild trading day ahead. It could be futures selling off once again as inflation fears shake everyone up. Futures off more than a half a percent. Crypto shaken and stirred. 
Mark Yusko standing by to lay out why he says the big drops are actually a good thing. But lately, crude oil is feeling some of your love. Oil and oil stocks quietly having a big 2021. They could have more room to go and matter for the overall market. We'll tell you why on this busy Thursday, May 20th. And this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. It is almost exactly 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Let's get right now to the markets and your money after Wednesday's wild ride. Looks like it could be another tough day on the street of dreams. Futures, they are down more than one half of 1%. That's about a 212-point drop on the Dow futures, 70 points on the NASDAQ as well. Now, Wednesday was really a tale of two markets. You had the morning and you had the afternoon. We opened up and pretty much had total capitulation in the first couple of hours. The Dow down 590, and at one point, only 4% of the S&P 500 stocks were higher. Bitcoin nearly broke below 30,000. But then around midday, the buyers came back in a big way. We ended barely down on the NASDAQ. Still down, but the NASDAQ had a valiant rally toward really flatline. Nearly everything, though, ended down except for the VIX and gold. Certainly a big technical bounce. Crypto really was the volatility story and remains so this morning. In all, on Wednesday, Bitcoin did a $13,000 round trip in just a few hours. It went from 43000 down to 30000 before bouncing back big time, getting hammered in Asia overnight, and is now at 38920 Ethereum, even worse, down 25% at one point yesterday. Now, much of these moves are being blamed on inflation. Might be true, but another big story to pay attention to is oil. Down yesterday with everything else, but oil still having a big year. Crude oil, if you're not paying attention, is now up 50% in just six months. Crude oil down a little bit right now to 62.30, but still, look at that chart. Big six-month run for the price of oil. And many oil stocks and ETFs also having a great few months. The XLE. XOP, OIH, all ETFs are all up more than 35% this year. It's been a hard commodity year, even as volatility certainly swings with big name technology stocks. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. We'll have Matt Maley on that and the overall markets in just a couple of moments. But right now, let us dive more into what has been your top money story. That is crypto and the huge down move and huge bounce off the lows for most of the big names. Mark Yusko, Morgan Creek joining us now. Uh, Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on. And I know that you know that we know that you know what you think that I'm going to ask you, but I'm not, okay? Okay. Because I'm going to lead with this. If you followed that, I'm not sure even I did. A really interesting stat from Bespoke Investment Group that you might like. They -hmm. looked at 10 years of data. They're good like that. Drawdowns in crypto like this are in fact nothing new. Bespoke found that since Bitcoin began trading in 2010, the average drawdown from a record high has been about 48% and a series of higher lows. The numbers have gotten bigger, so it's more scary, I think, but this is actually not a new thing for crypto, is it? No, not, Brian. It's such a great set of stats and not new at all. Uh, Look, an asset that has compounded at 223% per year for 11 years 
has to have volatility. It has the same volatility as Amazon stock, 80%. And to your point on, on Bitcoin drawdowns, uh, Amazon every year in its 24 years of life has had a double digit drawdown, including this year. The average drawdown in Amazon stock is 31%, five times over 50%, twice over 90%. When was the right time to sell Amazon? That would be never. So volatility is not your enemy. It's your friend. You want volatile assets. Now, you, what you want is upside volatility. Downside volatility is painful. But over the long term, holding an asset that has volatility is the whole point of investing. You know, I'm going to blame. I'm going to do what everybody else does, Mark. I'm going to blame the media. OK, why not? I'm just going to throw it out there. If something goes from 11 bucks to five and a quarter, five bucks, that's about a 53 percent drawdown. That doesn't get a lot of attention. But when something goes from 65,000 to 30,000, it's the yeah. same drawdown. But because the numbers are so much bigger, it's yeah. going to naturally get attention. As you pointed out in Fast Money, like two years ago, the key is the long term and the series of higher lows. Every time it falls, it falls to a higher low in Bitcoin. You still see that uptrend continuing, I assume. Yeah, look, the, the, the real problem, Sully, and we talked about this in the past, too, is price is a liar, right? The price of an asset is not its value. The value of the asset is determined by the fundamentals. And the fundamentals of Bitcoin, of Ethereum, of cryptocurrency broadly, of blockchain technology broadly, are all increasingly getting better. And they're getting better at an accelerating rate. The price is what two people decide to exchange an asset for. And unfortunately, what happens is we go from investors buying things because they think the price is below the fair value to traders who buy things when prices move up or down, to speculators who buy things because the price is going up. And unfortunately, in the past year, we have a whole bunch of gamblers who got free money from the government who are buying things and they're buying on leverage. And what happened in the last couple of days is a whole bunch of levered traders, people who were 20 times, 50 times, in some cases, 100 times levered, got margin call. And they need to get flushed out. This is a healthy correction. We need this to get the money back to investors and assets flow to their rightful owners. If you're hitting the panic button selling today, think somebody is buying. Yeah. Who's buying? Well, answer the question, because here's what we do know. If you look at like BitBuy and some of these other websites in Asia, you can see and, and Larry McDonald and others have pointed out online that people got whacked with margin calls. Mark, you know that. I mean, people, smaller investors likely levering up their portfolio. They got crushed. Maybe their accounts were closed because they couldn't meet margin. We know there are people who have margined up technology stocks on the way up to buy crypto. Tech comes down. They need to raise the money to, to pay back the bank for their margin on the tech. So guess what? They have to sell crypto. Do you feel like the last couple of days was kind of the perfect storm or maybe the perfect flush and a confluence of events all as China comes out and says, oh, by the way, we're cracking down on all things crypto. Yeah, look, you know, the, the FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt is is the same, right? It's about the energy usage, which is a crock. It's it's about clamping down or regulation or you're going to ban Bitcoin. Or you're going to ban crypto. 
You can't ban a decentralized asset. The reality is when you get a margin call, you don't get to choose what you're going to sell. You have to sell everything and you have to sell the most liquid things. And so remember last March, Bitcoin fell 55% in about 12 hours, got to $5,000. And people said, oh, it's done. It's over. It's going to zero. It's $40,000 today. It's not done. It's not going to zero. When you and I were together at this same oh dark 30 time, day after Thanksgiving, okay, there was a threat that Mnuchin was going to ban crypto, regulate crypto. And what happened? It went from about 30000 down to 18000 And you asked me what you should do. So you should buy it. You should buy some today. You should buy some tomorrow. You should buy some next week and next month and keep accumulating ownership of the network. This is the most powerful computing network in the history of mankind. You want to own a piece of this network. Yeah. And it's just like every other network that we own, whether it's Apple or Facebook or Amazon, you want to own pieces of these network for the long term. Think about this. Despite all the volatility, yeah. Bitcoin's up 26% this year. It's up more than the S&P. It's up more than Apple. It's up more than Peloton, which is down 25%. So it's doing great. It's just people, because your point, they look at the big numbers and don't calculate the percentage moves, and they just focus on, on the big activity, and uh, they end up, unfortunately, selling yeah. to the long-term accumulators like me. Well, don't say everybody, Mark, because that's why we focused on the percentages and yes. not the big numbers, but they do. The big numbers do make things a little more scary. But as bespoke, and you note, we have been here many times before, and the hodlers have paid off. Mark Yusko, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Mark, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. Always great to be with you. All right, thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to pivot from big tech and cryptos to big oil. Matt Maley explains why you have to watch oil for clues to the overall market, even if you... You think the fossil fuel is a fossil. But as we had to break, a quick hit on some of your other top headlines. Amazon being hit by five new lawsuits from employees, including accusing the company of racial and gender discrimination. The women who have worked in corporate roles or warehouse management say managers retaliated against them for complaining internally about harassment or discrimination. McDonald's expected to face tough questions over how it fired or handled the firing of a former CEO, Steve Easterbrook, at its annual shareholder meeting today, two shareholders leading a campaign against re-electing two board members in their role over Easterbrook's exit. And Ford, and South Korean battery maker SK Innovation, set to announce a battery joint venture in the U.S. today to support the ramp up of the electric vehicles, the Mach-E Mustang and the electric F-150. Dow futures are down about a half a percent. NASDAQ futures lower as well. We're back with more on the markets and your money right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the markets and oil. And apparently rumors of oil's death have been greatly exaggerated. If you're not paying attention, you should be. Both oil and oil stocks having a big year so far, and your next guest says it could keep going in part because the sector is so unloved, and it actually does matter to the markets. Matt Maley of Miller-Tabak 
with us now. And Matt, it's great to have you on this morning because you always put out these fantastic morning notes. And one of them a day or two ago really caught my eye because you were doing something I didn't think you were allowed to do anymore. You were actually talking about oil and oil stocks. I understand they are a tiny percentage of the market, the smallest really as a sector they have ever been. But as you note, it does appear that because they are so unloved, that there actually may be something riding on it. How do you see oil playing out vis-a-vis the overall markets? Well, I mean, well, the, the thing is, is, is the most important thing I think right now is, is we're talking about, you know, it's getting a lot of attention finally. I mean, after this huge rally, a, a few firms uh, finally upgraded the group last week, but, uh, you know, after, you know, a 90 or 90 to 110 percent rally. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it's starting to pull back a little bit here that because it was getting overbought and that's normal and healthy. But the point is, as you said, it was very, very underloved. Uh, even though people are starting to talk about it now, it's still a, a, a very underowned by the institutional uh, community. I mean, these co- these these companies, I'm sorry, these uh, investors, these institutional investors, they own huge portions still of the Apples and the Amazons and some of these other fangs. Apple and Amazon are great, great companies, and I can see why you love them long term and why you're going to hold on to a big chunk of them. But if you're an institutional investor, you're still gauged every single year. Okay, the S&P 500 is up just about 10 percent so far this year. The S&P Energy Index is up 40 percent and the tech index is up only four percent. So not only is it badly underperforming the the, the energy stocks, it's badly underperforming the market. Mm -hmm. At some point, these people are going to have to uh, have no choice because they get measured every single year to sell more of these big cap tech names and go into the energy because that's where the uh, where the performance is. And uh, what I'm really looking at, I mean, think. Think about what you're saying. It's pretty much amazing. And let's take let's take ESG out of it, because we understand that a lot of the university endowments, right, they're not going to own fossil fuels because students complain. We get that. Let's set them into their own basket. What you're saying is that for traditional fund managers looking at their performance, they need to look good. They need to have winners on their books. The winners this year are not Apple and Amazon. They're not the FANG stocks. They're FANG, Diamondback Energy. That's its ticker. You say that because it is so underowned, institutional managers may have to pile into it so they can show, look, we also own Chevron. Exactly. And, and it's, you know, they're going to have percentage move. And, what, and again, you're looking at what's going to help you move higher. When, you, when a group is still incredibly underowned, uh, that can help. That can still has a lot more to go on the upside. Uh, so therefore, they don't mind piling in, in into the into a, a group like this. It's like saying some people I've heard the last week saying it's going to be a crowded trade. I'm like, no, it's it's getting more popular with people talking about it, but it took years for it to, to for for the energy. I'm sorry for the uh, tech stocks to become so incredibly overowned. Uh, it's going to take a long time before the uh, the energy uh, group even becomes uh, even owned, uh, you know, owned on a, on, yeah. on, a, on a market weighted basis. And the thing is, too, is that people are saying most of the fossil fuels are a thing of the past. That's fine, but they're not going away in the next few years. It's going to take a couple of decades. So you can still, you know, it's just the whole thing between Bitcoin and gold. I mean, you can still make money in both. And people are right now are going to have to focus on these energy stocks uh, and gold and other commodities uh, going forward if they want to perform uh, and and keep their jobs and get their big bonuses. Yeah, and and I don't want to put you on the spot, Matt, but Bank of America had a mutual fund manager survey a couple days ago. I don't know if if you saw it. If you didn't, I'll recap it because it doesn't matter. You can comment on it regardless. They asked a couple questions. They asked all their fund managers, a huge survey, right? They said, what are the most crowded trades? Well, the first most crowded trade, according to fund managers, was long Bitcoin. The second 
was long ESG, right? Companies say, oh, we're, we're, we make bleach and deadly chemicals, but we're still ESG because we bought carbon credits. Then they also asked where they saw gains. And gains in oil was like the top of the list. So you're thinking long ESG is overcrowded, according to fund managers. Oil may have its way up. It appears that there is some investor and technical momentum behind the XLE, the XOP, and some of these other ETFs. Yeah, and 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 the point is, is is that when you get a situation where people are talking about it, say, like, what do you see going forward? It's one of the things. Like, what's the most crowded trade? Uh, then that's that's a, a contrary indicator, uh, a contrary indicator. And, uh, uh, but when you see a, a situation where they're saying, what has the most upside potential? They look down at their portfolios and say, well. Oil is up a lot, and I don't own much of it. And so that's when they're looking more in the future, and that's when it's a, a, a good indicator rather than a contrarian indicator. And uh, the thing to look right now is at $66 at WTI. Yeah. Not only is that the highest from this year, but it's the highest going all the way back to 2019. It would be a four- or five-year high. It's pulling back a little bit. It breaks out there. These people are going to – the momentum's going to take it even higher. And, again, it's going to force these institutional money managers to, uh, you know, again, rotate more towards the group. And uh, it, there's a lot of money that can still go into it. Yeah, I mean, well said. Listen, we're always teasing other shows. I'm going to tease myself at about 10:15 a.m. Eastern time. I'll be on Squawk on the Street to talk more about oil, oil stocks, and the names with the most upside, according to analysts. Cheap plug, Matt. I'm sorry I used you for that. Great stuff on oil and gas. We appreciate it. Matt Maley and Miller Tayback. Have a great day, my friend. You too. Thanks, Brian. All right. You got to love when you promote yourself. Right on deck. Today's RBI, and this one is on what else? Crypto with the questions that you have but are too afraid to ask out loud. What are the top questions right now, according to Investopedia, on crypto? We'll bring them to you. By the way, Bitcoin is up, but stock futures down about a half a percent across the board. Could be a very another rough day for the markets and your money. Dow futures off 184, Nasdaq off 63, and we're back right after this. Today's RBI has to do with what else? Cryptos. After their massive move in the last 24 hours, there are no doubt some nervous folks out there. And if you are one of them or just don't fully understand the crypto world, do not worry. You are not alone. In fact, tons of people are looking for pretty basic information right now. So exactly what are the top questions people have around crypto? Well, Investopedia knows based on the searches on their site as they see it, and they gave them to us with our thanks. Thank you, Investopedia. The third most asked question is, what determines the value of Bitcoin? Well, of course, that's, that's a hard question to ask, right? I mean, or a hard one to answer. There you go. Mark tried to lay it out a moment ago. The second most asked question is, what does HODL, H-O-D-L, mean? You see it all the time. Well, I know you're probably too embarrassed to ask. It means hold on for dear life, right? No matter what happens, you don't sell. Ironically, it was supposed to be hold, but it started as a typo on a message board, apparently, so it, it became H-O-D-L. And the most asked crypto question is, what are the top cryptos other than Bitcoin? Vestopedia is saying it's pretty clear that many of you are looking for alternatives to Bitcoin, maybe because the price is so high, right? Not many of you can probably drop 40000 for one full coin. You buy a sliver of one of Satoshi. There you go. So the most asked questions, what determines the value what does HODL mean? And what are other cryptos aside from Bitcoin? Never be afraid to ask the question. 
Thanks to our friends at Avestopedia for putting that list together, which is random but informative. All right, let's get more informative on the markets, your money, and the broader markets and bring in Lindsay Bell, Chief Investment Strategist at Ally Invest and a CNBC contributor who has not sold every stock she owns and bought Dogecoin, I assume. Is that, is that a fair statement, Lindsay? That is a fair statement, Brian. How many questions do you get a day, a week from your clients? Like, well, I've owned IBM for 30 years. Should I buy Bitcoin? I mean, do you get that question? Yeah, I mean, I think what you see with our retail investors is there's definitely been an increased interest in speculative areas of the market like Bitcoin, um, the SPAC area, and then also areas like IPOs, which they've always had interest in. And of course, the retail investor is always digging away at those cheap uh, penny stocks in some cases looking for what could be the next big winner there. So that's nothing new. Uh, but the Bitcoin and other speculative areas of the market has increased over time. And what we say is, look, don't give up on the old stodgy names, especially when you're entering into Mm -hmm. a volatile period like we've currently been in. And as you know, Brian, we are in that sell in May period. So the volatility has really kicked up with the month of May. That's for certain. Yeah, I'm going to quote you back to you, Lindsay. The S&P 500 just tends to rise less than 1%, about 0.9% from Memorial Day to Labor Day, thus the sell in May, although it doesn't mean it's going to go down. just means it might not move higher versus a 4% move from Labor Day back through the following year to Memorial Day. So you at Ally Invest, you got self-directed trading, you got managed portfolios. What are you advising your clients, the retail investor, the managed portfolio part of your business, where are you telling them to invest right now? Well, what we're telling our investors is, look, hold tight. I know the last couple of weeks have been really uncomfortable with the increased volatility in the market that's been driven by really unusual things. But what we've seen, like you just said, Brian, you quoted me, is that the market actually holds up pretty well through the summer months. Now, you don't see it perform as strongly as it does in other periods during the year. So before those holidays and after, before Memorial Day and after Labor Day, you see the market usually rise about 4% like you said. Um, but the market does do well. in the, It holds its own, I should say, in the summer month. There can be some, some drama like we've seen with Bitcoin or uh, the Suez Canal. You never know what's going to pop up. There can be a geopolitical concern. Um, anything could really pop up in the summer. And when lo- volumes are lower in the summer, you see more dramatic reactions in the stock market. But overall, if you, if you remain diversified and if you can rotate into some yeah. of the areas that are more defensive, like consumer staples or healthcare, that can help tide you over until you get to, le- to the latter part of the year, which are the best, enter, you enter the best six months of the year. Yeah, sell in May and go away has been a false, a false flag because sell in May, it, the market's actually gone up the majority of the last 10 years between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Not a lot, but it has gone up. Lindsay Bell, Ally Invest. Lindsay, always appreciate your time. Have a terrific day. Thank you very much. All right, well, folks, I'm not sure the market's going to have a terrific day. We're leaving you again with a lot of futures in the red. Dow futures and NASDAQ futures down about one half of 1% each. Dow futures off 184. Bitcoin still under 40,000. Another volatile day ahead. We'll see you tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk and the gang, pick it up next. Take care. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.